the City Quick Connect podcast is brought to you by the Municipal Association of South Carolina. Hey everyone, this is Russell Cox. I am the editor of the Municipal Association of South Carolina's Uptown Publication. And it is time once again to talk about business licensing, which means that I have assembled my business licensing people. We have with us here today scott slatten the association's director of advocacy and communications and we also have caitlin cothran the association's manager for local revenue services scott caitlin welcome thank you russell we're we're still talking about this (laughs) (laughs) it's always time to talk about i I was just thinking he was very polite like i have with me he didn't say i forced into this room to do this podcast (laughs) no 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 we're here here voluntarily (laughs) you came of your own free will exactly exactly (laughs) so we are talking once again about act 176 which if you have been listening to this podcast at all in the last year you have heard of the south carolina business license tax standardization act in a few short months beginning january 1st 2022 this is the law that will require every city every town every county government in south carolina that has a business license tax to administer that tax in the same way and so we have talked a a lot about the process of getting your business licenses your business license practices standardized in 2021. But what we're going to be talking about today is what the new normal for business licensing is going to be beginning in 2022. So, Caitlin, a while back, I got you to put together some information for what this is going to look at. And it kind of broke down into a few different categories. One of them is the kinds of decisions that city and town councils will be able to make about their business licensing under Act 176. Yeah, so I guess I should say the people who are administering the business license will see more changes to the things that they're going to be doing, which we'll talk about later. But for city councils, there's there's really nothing changing in terms of the role that they play in business licensing, Mm -hmm. but it's good for them to know what that role is and that it's not all, you know, the business licensing staff and it's not all businesses and and things like that, that they do play a role in business licensing and a very important role in that they have to pass the ordinance, set the rates, um, the penalty rates, determine what the subclasses are that they're going to use for economic development. Scott, is there anything I'm forgetting? No, I, you're, I think you've covered it exactly right uh, in terms of the council's decision-making authority that we worked very hard uh, to ensure that elected officials, local elected officials across the state retained that authority, that decision-making authority over the rates that you wanted to set uh, for each of your rate classes. Uh, those were those kinds of decisions that you, that council members had always had under the old business license system, we wanted to make sure, and we did, and we're very clear up front during all the negotiations over Act 176 that it, we were adamant that councils retain that authority. And so mm-hmm. you're right, Caitlin, uh, as far as a council goes, 
the authority and the and the their role in business licensing has not changed dramatically under Act 176, which is important for for everyone to understand and and be be happy and proud about going forward. Yeah, another thing that they should think about is these agreements that they've entered into with for economic development reasons, maybe, or for for other reasons, with specific business sectors. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are preserved also under Act 176. So if they are currently already have a special agreement, then they can keep that special agreement. Yes. And does it inhibit their ability to enter into future agreements? No. Okay. No. So Act 176, in addition to preserving that rate-making authority, also preserved, as you said, Caitlin, the existing agreements or special rates that councils had set for particular businesses or for a particular rate class or business sector, NAICS code, for instance. That authority was preserved from existing for existing agreements and for going forward so that if a council wanted to uh, create an economic development uh, incentive or use the business license tax system to help incentivize as a as a part of a package some sort of business sector like more restaurants more hotels that kind of thing then that authority was preserved and really uh, not only preserved, but essentially codified in yeah. statute. Yeah. Because previously, obviously, under home rule in South Carolina, a council uh, has authority to do many, many things, uh, particularly if it's not prohibited by the General Assembly. But in in enacting Act 176, we codified the, that authority for cities and council, city and county councils. Uh, it for you know for existing agreements and going into the future, which I think was an important thing because it was an acknowledgement that hey councils need this authority to stimulate the economy in South Carolina and local officials are the best ones to uh, to do to do that. Yeah, yeah, and then I think the last thing that we should highlight specifically for councils is entering into contracts with these third party companies. We have a, an entire other podcast where we talked about third-party companies and how that works, but I want to make it very clear that it's pretty black and white with Act 176 in terms of what the role of the third party is and then what the role of the city is. And primarily it says you can still enter into a contract with them. They can still contact businesses on your behalf, but information, specifically confidential information, which would be... I believe anything that cannot be obtained through FOIA, so gross income, the taxes due, things like that, mm-hmm. and the application and the payment all have to be sent to the city. Right, and, and you're talking, of course, about these third-party collection companies or these companies that assist cities and counties and towns in identifying delinquent businesses, businesses who've not paid the business license tax. There are a number of those companies that operate across the state. Those were addressed... Uh, specifically in Act 176, and the sections of Act 176 that address those third-party collection companies is already in effect. In fact, that section of the law became effective September 30th of last year, of 2020. Yeah, and so, I believe that section 61420. Does that sound right? Uh, I think that's right. Yeah, it sounds right. It's in, It's in. yeah, that, that sounds right. I uh, don't know the specific subsection, but you're right. 
so the the law affecting how they are allowed to operate in the state is already is already in effect, and uh, the rest of the standardization pieces, as Russell said, won't become effective until January 1st of next year. So as they're entering into contracts with these companies, or if they're already in contract with them, they need to look at that and make sure that they're abiding by all the new laws. And of course, that is a council function. You know, if a contract, right. mm-hmm. if a contract is to be proposed for a particular city, town, or county, then the then the, uh, the council should be involved in the uh, agreement and execution of that contract. Yes. Yeah. So, Caitlin, as, as you mentioned, in terms of day-to-day changes in business licensing um, under Act 176, the, the big change is for the business licensing staff who That's right. administers them. So can we talk about that? Yeah, so they're, um, in the Uptown article we, that you already kind of mentioned, we highlighted several of these things, specifically the applications, how the class schedule and the rates work now, and renewals and appeals, I think, are the main things that we mentioned. So let's start with the application. Act 176 mandates that you accept the standard renewal application. This application, uh, the association worked with cities across the state to create it, but now um, Act 176 says that it has to be approved by South Carolina Revenue and Fiscal Affairs Office every year, Scott. Does that sound right? Yeah, I think they, I can't remember if it's every year or not, but RFA has to uh, sign off on the on yes. the application and the information that's asked on it. So, yeah, so they've done that yep. um, and the standard application is out there. Now, I'm not saying that you can't continue to accept your own application or any other application that the city's approved that they can submit. Mm-hmm. I get that question a lot. Um, is the standard application the only one? The answer is no. It just means that if they submit the application you have to accept it that's all yeah and and when i say accept i don't mean approve the license right i just mean accept it as a as a submission as an application for a license yeah Yeah. Yeah, you have to evaluate at that point whether or not you're going to grant the license Right. right yeah and that application was developed uh by the south carolina business licensing officials association Six years ago, I think. Something yeah, like that, that sounds right. It's been a while. Fourteen, I want to say. Seven years. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. And and over a hundred cities and towns across the state have since that time agreed that they would accept it if it were presented to yeah. them. So it shouldn't be shouldn't be terribly different than than what we've been doing. I will say there's a little confusion with the standard application when businesses get it because it has the association's logo at the top. And so I frequently, and by frequently, I mean like one a week probably, get an application mailed here. Yeah. So Meredith Halk, who is our communications manager, is that the right title? Yeah. Has graciously agreed to put the city's logo on the application for them. So she's already done that for about 10 or 12 cities. So if you'll send us your logo and ask us to do that, Meredith needs that in a JPEG or a PDF. And she can put that on there for you. <laughs> yeah. If you do, if your city or town doesn't like your current application or you think it's inadequate and you don't want to have to reinvent the wheel then we'll brand brand the standard application and and several cities have have adopted that as their own applications yeah they have so the next thing is the class schedules and the rates as we've already mentioned council needs to set this by ordinance but the class schedule is now mandated by law also as far as 
it being approved by the South Carolina Revenue and Fiscal Affairs Act, but the association is using the same data that we've always used. It's the IRS profitability data, the NAICS codes, and those are North American Industry Classification System codes before Russell asked me what NAICS stands for. She knows I do it every time. We've done enough of these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we look, we use the NAICS codes. We look at the IRS profitability. We see where businesses fall on that scale. We put them into the seven classes, and then it's approved by South Carolina Revenue and Fiscal Affairs Office. And that has now has to be adopted ev- by December 31st of every odd year. Who adopts it? Council. It's going to have to be adopted by ordinance yeah. by December 31st of every odd year. Right. So after this initial round, it's going to be December 31st, 2023 is the first time they have to do that. By Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That'll be the next time that councils would have to go and adjust their class schedules within their ordinance because presumably the class schedule that the municipal association prepares and RFA certifies or approves, presumably there would be changes within that class schedule to that might move a particular uh, business uh, classification in or out of a rate class. So there's classes one through seven, right? Yes. And so uh, depending on economic conditions between now and 2023, a particular business sector uh, or industry, uh, their profitability may change so that they would have to move from a class one to a class two or, or, or wherever. So, uh, and that's, and the reason we put it, put that, that regular change and review of the class schedule into the law was so, so that cities and towns wouldn't potentially face uh, equal protection problems by charging an industry unfairly, either too much or too little, based on their profitability that changes from from year to year. So, uh, and and because there are a lot of cities and towns across the state that had not adjusted their class schedules for 10, 15, 20 years. And so some industries that were, some industries ended up paying way more than they should have because they weren't as profitable. Yeah, yeah, they weren't as profitable as they were 20 years ago when the council adopted that class schedule originally. So um, mandating those changes, mandating that update every two years in the statute, I think was really important uh, for, for everyone. Yeah, so ideally, because the association was always putting out, you know, every two to three years, Mm -hmm. the updates. And ideally, they should have been adopting them all along. But like Scott said, some had gone 15, 20, even more years than that. Right. Um, So so now, so that's mandated now. And I want to be clear that the law is only mandating what classes they fall into unless you have a specific reason a justifiable reason, I think, is the language or mm-hmm. something in the act to put them into a special class or you have a pre-existing contract or agreement with them for a specific reason or they are handled a special way because of state law. So we have our one through sevens and now our class eights are state law specific, like amusement machines and pool halls and insurance, telecoms. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the class nines are going to be your anything that's special. Your local, your local adjustments that you would make for yeah. a particular industry. Yeah. So we're not telling any... you what to charge them outside of the first year of revenue neutrality. Right. 
or just saying these are the classes they fall into. Are there any things you see that often turn up in those specially made classes? Um, a lot of it depends on the city themselves. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of coastal cities have hotels and, and things and special classes mm-hmm. because of the influx of people during the summer and, you know, things like that, creating additional burdens on fire and EMS and police. So it's just dependent on the the city themselves. And it also depends on what the goals of a council are in terms of economic development. Mm-hmm. So uh, one city in the upstate I can think of in particular provided some business license tax relief uh, for to, to stimulate development in their downtown sector. Uh, you would incorporate that hopefully as a special separate ordinance from the business license ordinance but i mean we don't recommend this but you could put it into your business license ordinance no you can't don't suggest that. <laughs> yeah i mean I, we don't we don't we don't want you to do that we want you to set that as a separate ordinance but that would be an example of where you might find those kinds of things it, existing you know pre-existing ones that would be rolled into the to the update to the ordinance uh under act 176 yeah 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 D- does that take us to business license renewals Yeah, I was just thinking when I should put the little blurb in there about, you know, it's also now codified that the way that you look at these renewals in terms of gross income is that it has to be the prior calendar year and not January to December or the business's fiscal year. Mm -hmm. So when you're looking at their gross income, it has to be one of those two things now, unless there's language in there about contractors and per job basis and, and things like that. But And when we say contractors here at the association, we mean actual people engaged in construction. You know, <laughs> like when I say contractor, I mean someone who's actually building something. Yeah, where there's a, f- a finite, there's a presumably a, a, it's a project basis yeah. where you have a, actual finish date to the work you don't know what that is on the front end but at some point that project is done that that contract and and that contractor in in many cases is only doing that one particular contract and then they move on to something else of course they could be in the service if, if they also do service type work right um then they would want to have an annual renewal but that you're right contractors are generally construction people who are doing work on a per project basis. Right. Yep. Yep. So the license year now is May 1st to April 30th. We've said that several times, which means that April 30th is the due date. That's in law. The due date's April 30th. I get a lot of questions about penalty dates. I would say the penalty date would be May 1st, but that is that's not specified in law. So if you want your penalty date to be June 1st, you can do that. Um, and the portal will handle any of those penalty situations as well. And the standard penalty is 5% per month, but that's also not in law. So that's still at the discretion of the city. Yeah, but the penalty can't be applied until after that uh, April 30 due date that's for right. the license tax. Right. So, you know, a, a business certainly can pay their their business license tax any time between the time that they receive their renewal notice, which could be as early as January and April 30th, but they have to have it paid by April 30. And it's at after that point that you can apply the penalties if you want to apply a penalty. Right. And so since you said renewal notices, 
now that the license year begins in May, we're recommending cities mail renewal notices around January or February. Um, I understand some cities wait until longer because it has to do with rolling their year and their system and, and all that stuff. But especially this first year with the changes that are happening, um, we've pre-written language for you. If you go to our website, which is www.masc.sc, keyword standardization. Russell has me trained over here. I'm like a little puppet. <laughs> um I think you and said it wrong. It's actually www.masc.sc. Oh, I, I put the w, emphasis uh, on yeah. W. It's not W. Yeah. They're not allowed to enunciate here in this podcast, right, apparently. Right. Um, but that's step seven. So we put language in there for you to communicate with business license staff, businesses, anybody you could think of. So you can go to that link, pull the language, include that in your renewal notices. But please do try to get them out earlier, especially this first year, just to give businesses time to adjust. And that standard license year was important because there were license years that were all over the all over the calendar across the state, which was confusing for businesses, particularly businesses that work in multiple jurisdictions. They were having to keep up with multiple license years and due dates. And the General Assembly, and we, we agree at the association that standardizing that due date was helpful to businesses and was going to be helpful to cities and towns and uh, april 30th as the as the final day to pay was agreed upon because it would give businesses the opportunity to have their taxes filed by april the 15th and then they could use that that gross income number uh, as their gross income to report for business license tax purposes so um, you know, there were lots of questions. Well, why did you pick April 30th? That doesn't jive with, you know, our system or our, our fiscal, fiscal year, year or yeah. whatever. That's the reason that we that we eventually settled on that. So um, after we ever after everyone gets adjusted to it, I, I don't think we'll have that many problems. Yeah. And, and hopefully it'll make it easier because some of them, the license years were different than fiscal years. And it was, you know, throwing it off because cities were having to manage three or four different calendars basically exactly so, so hopefully it'll simplify it well here's one thing i don't have you trained on yet caitlin because you said the portal and i've been working on getting you to always renewal say center the local business license <laughs> renewal center on the grounds that other portals exist Russell, we've been saying portal for 10 years it's a hard transition the local business license renewal center that's right and much like the standard application i tell people it is not the only way they can renew but if they renew through the renewal center then you have to accept accept it as a submission you have to accept the payment yeah right so um a business will now have the opportunity through the business license renewal center to pay their tax their business license tax to every city and town across the state and county Yes. Yeah. Uh, if they choose to do that. And again, this is helpful to those businesses that work in multiple jurisdictions, but it, to make a payment, but it also helps the accuracy, hopefully, of their tax submissions because the, the renewal center will calculate their tax for them. Right. That's due to each jurisdiction uh, because each jurisdiction will have their rates loaded into the the renewal center 
And uh, if a business wanted to just calculate their tax, they could do that and not have to and not submit the payment through the center. They could just then write a check. It's really going to be a helpful tool, I think, even for business license staff uh, yeah, so, for calculations. Yeah, because they shouldn't have to double check it, the calculation, as long as the business entered the correct gross income, then the math's going to be correct. Right. Now, what you said about just using it to calculate it, we've implemented a printing option in there so they can go all the way to the end. And if they don't want to pay the processing fees, um, which are 2.9% plus 30 cents for credit cards and 0.08% that caps at $5 for ACH. But if they don't want to do that, then they can print their application and it's filled out for them as well. And those fees that you just mentioned, uh, Caitlin, are convenience fees that are charged to the business and added to their tax bill. That's right. So, um, you know, if they, and, and I, I do this personally, you know, if I have the opportunity to renew my fishing license, for instance, uh, with DNR, they charge me a convenience fee for doing it online and using a credit card. I'm okay with that. Yeah, uh, because it saves me the hassle of having to fill out an application and find a envelope and a stamp and yeah. then <laughs> yes. and then put it in the mailbox. Uh, and something I like about it is it shows them what it's going to cost if they at the same time, yeah. so they can compare. Well, it's going to be cheaper to pay ACH, so I'll do that, or it'll be cheaper to pay with credit card, well, right. so I'll do that. Whereas when I pay my water bill, I have to walk through the entire process and see how much it is with the credit card, and then walk and see how much it is with ACH. Yeah. You know, yeah. So that's nice. But the but if a if a business submits that payment for the renewal to the city and and the payment is correct according to the city or the town or the county, then they have to accept that payment under the law. Yes. Uh, that's not the only way that a business can renew. That, as we said, they can go back, they can go into town hall and pay in person. They can write a check and send it to town hall. But if they submit it through the renewal center, then the city has to accept that payment. That's what the statute says. That's right. So, Cities and towns have to accept that payment from the renewal center if it's made. And, of course, um, it doesn't cost the city any no, anything it's, it's to free. use the and, renewal center. Um, and that's mandated by law as well. Right. It has to be free to them. Yeah. The, the statute says that the city has to receive all of the payment towards uh, that, that, is, that, they, that is submitted to them. And, of course... Uh, the municipal association, and, and we made this very clear uh, throughout all of the negotiations on the bill, that the municipal association was providing the local government, uh, the local business license renewal center, at no cost to cities and at no cost to businesses. The municipal association bore the cost of the development of this software and will continue to bear that cost of updates and and, and upgrades uh, throughout the throughout the life of the. Of right the, of the renewal center and the payment fee we mentioned earlier goes directly to the payment processor yeah the credit so, card processor yeah. yeah yeah so just yeah that's where that convenience fee goes so to bring that back around to the role of business licensing staff mm-hmm. they i get the question a lot well is the association managing this like they manage the other business license programs for us the insurance and the telecom and the answer is no your staff logs in they review the applications approve deny ask for more information, 
just like they would any other application, but it's in an online system. Mm -hmm. So the city still maintains complete control of that. Yeah, I would envision if I would have my renewal applications that I get through the mail, I'd open those and have them in front of me. And then when I get done with that stack, I go to the go to my computer and log on to the renewal center and say, okay, here are the pending applications, just like I got in the mail. Do these look right? If they are, then you hit the button that says approve and, yeah. the, and the license is issued to that business that they can print, right? Yes, yes. And we tried to make it easy for staff. So if there's a renewal submitted, you're going to get an email saying that there's a renewal submitted. And to keep you from being bombarded with emails during the busy time, it sends one email at the end of the day. I think it's at like 10 o'clock at night to tell you how many were submitted that day so that you'll know the next day when you log in. And if they're still out there and you haven't touched them after five days, you're going to get another email. And then 10 days later, you get another email, you know, so just to try and make it easy for you. And there's interactivity between the business license staff and the business that submitted the application. There's, there's interaction that's available between them to say, if uh, the application is incomplete or if the business license staff needs more information, then they can message that business That's right. through the portal, th- through the license center, the renewal center, and uh, and get that information. That's so, right. That's yeah, right. Yeah. So the last thing I wanted to hit on were refunds and appeals mm-hmm. because those are the way that you handle refunds and appeals are now outlined in state law. So the business has... Until June 1st, I think it is. Is that right, That's Scott? Right. Mm-hmm. So by June 1st, I think is actually what it says, or before June 1st, yep. something like that, yep. to request a refund. So if they don't do that before June 1st, that's it, I guess. So the business submits its application, its renewal, and it the business thinks that the, perhaps they've overpaid. Under the statute, uh, they have to request a refund for the overpayment by June the 1st of that same year. So let's say they don't, they they submit their renewal uh, on April the 30th, the last day. They have a month uh, to decide whether or not to request a refund for the amount, you know, that they, that they think may be in dispute. Yeah. Um, Which is different than the appeal. I want to specify, you know, that there's a difference there. Yeah. Yeah. So the appeal would be, think out Act 176 says they have 30 days after postmark or after getting a hand-delivered message or whatever of notice of assessment. Right. right? And let's explain what an assessment is. Okay. So a business misses the April 30 deadline to renew. Okay. Then, and they refuse to renew, you've sent them notices saying hey you're you're delinquent you need to submit your app you need to submit your renewal they eventually do not do that and and typically what a business license assessment does is say the business license staff goes back and looks at that business's history and says okay on average over the last however many years they've paid a hundred dollars in business license tax the staff then sends them a notice that says you owe the city of wherever a hundred dollars. We are assessing you a tax of a hundred dollars. That assessment delivery is what triggers the opportunity for that business to appeal that hundred dollar tax. Yes. And I think it's 
it's specified in there that it says it has to be delivered via mail right. or personal service, yeah. I think is the words that they use. That's right. Okay. And so that, that assessment is what appeals that or triggers that appeals procedure that used to be all over the place across the state, but is now specified in the statute. Right. Right. With with notice periods, with uh, consultation periods, uh, there are specific numbers of days that the, the the municipal or the county staff have to uh, to uh, complete certain processes, and the business has X number of days to respond yes. before it eventually gets to an adjudication, if yes. you will. So yeah. familiarize yourself with that because it is very clear what your responsibility is, what the responsibility of the business is. And like we said, that that's mandated now. It's not optional. So make if, sure you're familiar with that. And if that appeal does not get um, resolved throughout the entire process, it ultimately can end up in the administrative law court. That's right. Uh, which is a, you know, a... a a little bit it's a it's a more accessible court system in South Carolina than the circuit court is which for many ordinances prior to Act 176 the circuit court is where you would appeal a business license dispute now it's to the uh, the ALC yeah one thing I want to mention here at the end, this is a new development. Caitlin, Local Revenue Services in 2022 is going to have a series of virtual informational training sessions available the whole year long. Yeah, that's right. So I went to the BLOA board to get this approved because I was trying to offer business license information in an easily accessible way for people to come and ask questions more frequently and outside of those two times a year where we go to the joint meeting or the spring training. Mm -hmm. Um, we started getting a lot of questions about, is there somewhere else I can get information? And of course, we always had the listserv, which you have to be a member of BLOA to access the listserv. And that's the Business Licensing Officials Association. Um, but outside of that, you don't have to be a member to access these. Mm -hmm. We are doing them every month. And I, I believe it's either the second or the third Wednesday of every month. I don't have the dates in front of me. But we're going to have an hour-long session where we have a specific topic where Kaylee and Fran and I who are talking about, and Kaylee, that's Kaylee Summerton and Fran Adcock on my staff who have business license backgrounds. They come from cities. Um, we're going to have a specific topic that aligns with what's going on in business licensing at that time of the year, right? So the beginning of the year, we're going we're gonna to be talking about mailing renewals. And then in April, we're going to be talking about processing business license applications. And then in May, we're going to talk about how to handle appeals and penalties and things like that. So to keep you up to speed on what's happening at that time of the year. But I went to the BLOA board because I wanted to offer an incentive, I guess, to come sit in on our session. And they said that um, I can give people one point for attending these and you can get a max of three a year. So uh, you have three years, I believe, to keep, to keep your MBL or something, 30 points in three years. Is yeah. that right, Scott? If you're a business licensing official, then you want to get two accreditations. The first is the accreditation in business licensing which you have to pass the ABL exam to, to achieve after you've completed the training institute. And then after the, you achieve your ABL, you, you, you earn your ABL, you can 
earn your master in business licensing. And in order to maintain that credential, you have to get continuing education credits over a number yeah. of years. Yeah. And so there's a series of ways to do that, but this is going to be an addition, in addition mm-hmm. to that. So you could get a max of nine points over the three years. But I, like I said, I was trying to provide additional opportunities for people to get those points and also incentivize them to come to our virtual meeting. These are going to be virtual. Yes. So it's a one-hour session with a specific topic that we'll probably talk about for 15 or 20 minutes. And then we're going to open it to any general questions. So if you have business license issues that you need to talk about, come to the meeting and you'll get feedback from attendees across the state and then staff here at the association as well. And for our one elected official who listens to the podcast regularly, I would tell you to encourage your business license staff, if they don't have these accreditations already, to encourage them to get these accreditations, uh, to go through the Training Institute, and then uh, earn that MBL, because it's sort of the good housekeeping uh, stamp of approval. Uh, if, If your business licensing staff goes through our our training institute and then maintains that uh those credentials then you have some assurance and the public and your businesses have assurance that they are being trained on a regular basis on the latest information and techniques in business licensing and best practices in best business licensing so that that's something that uh i think everyone ought to want to have for their staff so yeah and if they're not a member of bloa you can contact Elizabeth Copeland and our staff, get them signed up to be a member. Or they can go online and, and join as well. Yes. Yep. And as always, I mean, if they have any questions, please contact any of us here at the association and we'll find the right person for you. Oh, by the way, the, the name of the virtual sessions is uh, Business Licensing Essentials. You can find it on the association's training calendar on the website. We have to give a shout out to Meredith Houck for that name as well, because she saw Caitlin and I just endlessly debating <laughs> what the, the name. name should be. And then she just swooped in and gave us that name. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Meredith. Um, also, there's going to be a section in each Uptown next year, right? Yes. About what the topic is for that month. So when the Uptown comes out at the beginning of the month, it's going to give you a little introduction to what the topic's going to be at the virtual meeting. So you'll be prepared. And I'm getting Caitlin to write up that material as well. So No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> love, love some multi-platforming. Yes. It's fantastic. Yes. yes. <laughs> All right. Well, Scott, Caitlin, thank you guys so much. Thank Thank you, you. Russell. The City Quick Connect podcast is one of several ways the Municipal Association keeps you informed of the opportunities and issues impacting South Carolina cities and towns. Learn more at www.masc.sc and stay up to date with the Association's latest happenings on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.